All right, what, uh, what series are we in? Presence, witness, yes. And what were we talking about last week? Anyone remember? What were we talking about last Sunday? As far as alongside formation, we were talking about intentional community. Gold star, Val. We were talking about commitment and involvement where? Where? Just out there? Where are we talking about? Commitment and involvement where? The local church, right. To help us in our apprenticeship to Jesus. So we're talking a lot about following the way of Jesus, apprenticeship to Jesus, and listening and following him and training under him, being formed into his likeness as we follow his way. And so if you missed that message last week, I want to encourage you. This one very much builds on it. This one is very much tied to that. And, and really, there's all connecting points through these messages. But I encourage you to listen to it or watch it, however you um, prefer. We were talking about how we're made for community. We were talking about how we are transformed within the context of community. We're not transformed by community. God transforms us, but it's within the context of the local church that God does that. And then we talked about that. He does that as we are committed to community. And I ended with talking about the lovely reality of tension and struggle within community. How when we come into the church, we bring our past selves, we bring our history, we bring our upbringing. Everything that makes up us and what we've experienced, we bring into the church. And so that shapes how we respond, how we interact with community, how we love Jesus, and how we love others. All of that is impacted and affected by that. And so the role of our family of origin, that, that's a phrase that you'll hear me using here and there, our experiences growing up have a profound influence on our formation. This, this is actually the greatest influence in our lives in how we approach church and our connection to the body is how, what happened to us in our formative years. How we grew up, how our families habits and practices in regards to the church has a significant impact in forming us and our paradigms. I won't, I'll spare you the details, but I grew up in a family where close personal relationships in the church were not pursued or regarded as important. I, I didn't experience, you know, really deep relationships with other families in the church. That wasn't something that we as a family did. It was, it wasn't even, I, I didn't even have a grid for that. Church was sort of an event. It was an observance. It was maybe even an obligation, you know, that we just, we did because we're Christians. And so we go to this thing. But beyond that, I had no understanding of it as family. Probably until I was like out of high school and God began to shift a lot of things in me. And, and that thing of like being in the church but having no real understanding that it's family, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because many, many people grow up like that. And so part of the, the process of the examination or the work of the Holy Spirit has brought me to a place where I see the church completely different 
from my early years. Like completely different. Like I don't even, I don't even see the church remotely the way that I saw it growing up. But I, I know that I'm still influenced and affected by the forming of what happened there in my early years and how I came to saw the church. That is still something that is inside of me that I have to work through. And if, and if I don't assess and if I don't own that reality, it's going to be impossible for me to begin any process where I ask and I invite the Holy Spirit to work transformation in my life. Because there is it's an invitation of, Holy Spirit, I want you to work in my life when it comes to how I see the church. And it's an ongoing process too. It doesn't just, it's not just a magic like one and done. It's, it's an ongoing thing in our lives. And so this morning I want to talk about the reality of intentional community. What does life together as God's people call us to? And how does community form or shape us to be more like Jesus? And so I want to read Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 16 with us. If you have your Bibles, you can open up. If not, it'll be on the screen. But I'd encourage you to, you know, make it a habit. Bring your Bibles, get your Bibles open. Let's get into the Word together. Verse 11, or open up your phone if it's an app for you. Verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, so instead of, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's, let's pray before we, we continue. Father, I want to thank you for these incredible, incredible words that you put into the mind of the Apostle Paul to write down and to give to the church. And it has carried on for 2,000 years and beyond now, these words that are so profound. And we thank you that they are, they are absolutely full of not just truth, but your heart for the church, your heart for what Jesus came to do, what Jesus has accomplished and what he's calling us to and what he's beckoning us to. And Lord, I want to pray right now that you would open up our hearts and our minds to receive what the word says, not what culture impresses upon us, not what our traditions have maybe taught us, not what our upbringings and our pasts and our histories, how they've formed us, but that this, the word of God, would be the thing that absolutely captures us, captures our minds and our hearts and changes us because it is the living word. And so we ask that everything, Father, that you would accomplish and you want to do this morning in us, we want to say yes, let it be so. Holy Spirit, would you come? 
Amen. So the church has a distinct role in helping us grow into the fullness of Christ. That's one of the things that, that Paul is, is getting at here. And, and really throughout a lot of Ephesians, he's getting to that, that. That the church is to be equipping individuals for the work of ministry. And that we're called to minister to others. That the work of ministry is all of us to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Not pastors, not deacons, not elders, not this person, but the saints for the work of ministry. Calling us to grow in unity and in the knowledge of Jesus. Till we, till we all, it says, until we all attain to that. And there's a reason for that. And Paul says it here, verse 14, he says, so that, and then he lists, and he says, so that you would not be immature in your faith. That there would actually be a maturity happening. That as we live amidst the waves of confusion and fear and uncertainty, which that's what we're living in, that's what's actually going to increase in the last days, that we would know who we are. And, and as we're tempted, and, and there's these things that want to pull us into all sorts of misguided philosophies, ideologies, ways of thinking, that's what Paul's getting at here, that we would not be shaped by the cunning nature of a secular, humanistic culture. Deceitful schemes of the enemy. You know how Satan works deceitful schemes? Through a secular, humanistic culture that would seek to guide you away into all sorts of ideologies and philosophies. Satan is at work in these days. Yes, God is at work. God wants to draw us into all sorts of goodness. But Satan as well, right now, he is at work as well. And he wants to lead us into confusion. Seeking to deceive and to lead astray those in the church. And by all means, he will, whatever means Satan can do that, whatever, by whatever means he can use to draw you away from the church, he'll do it. Discouragement, pride, hurt, offense. I'm, I'm standing on this and this is, this is my belief and all sorts of things. Whatever it takes to draw us out of intentional community in the body of Christ. And this is why we're, we're meant to embrace this design that Paul writes of here for our lives. Where the body serves to build us up. Fostering growth in our lives. Bringing us into this greater place of maturity and dependence on Jesus. It serves to protect us from the schemes of the enemy. From human cunning. By this craftiness that's around us. So, it really begs us to ask some questions of ourselves, and that is, where are we prone, inclined to go our own way? When I, when I read this text, it's, it's meant to have me ask, where are there things in me that would seek to be led astray into things that are not of the Lord? Where, where am I inclined to go my own way and resist intentional community in the local church? Where am I inclined to resist vulnerability, exposure, being real, admitting weakness? Any of those things. In this, where am, where am I missing the invitation from Jesus to grow, mature, and flourish? Because that's the invitation here. 
He gave these things. He gave us the ministry of the church to build us up, to equip us, to flourish. So, I want to quickly touch on four roadblocks that Satan uses to keep us from community. I just want to quickly go over these that I think are pretty common that all of us face at one time or another and we've, we've all seen in our lives. Number one would be safety, where we stay in isolation out of desire for safety because we struggle with close relationships. We don't, we don't feel safe or we don't feel the emotional freedom to be open and vulnerable with people. Maybe we didn't have this in our families we grew up in and there's a significant deficiency at, in, in us or in areas of us that we feel. that This was largely my experience. And this is possible. Safety in community, we need to hear, is possible, but you have to open yourselves up to it. It doesn't just happen. It's, community is not a perfect place, but it is meant to be a safe place. And so our calling in the church is to cultivate this as followers of Jesus with one another. How do we cultivate this? So safety, number one. Second thing that where Satan tries to put a roadblock up is in communication. How, how we experience this growing up, how we experienced communication, like in our homes, in the church, especially, but especially in our families, affects us in significant ways throughout our life? What were the ways of communicating that we grew accustomed to? Because whatever that is, we take that into our relationships and we, t- we bring that into the church. This is the way that we're going to communicate. And it can keep us from connecting in our lives. And the thing about communication is it won't be healed overnight. Learning to communicate differently actually takes a long time. It's a, it's a process of learning how to change how I look at things, how I perceive things, how I react to things. We all know that where you're, you're in a situation and you just, it's like instinctively you feel a certain way to react. And you want to react a certain way. And then, and then, and then, and then in that moment, if the Lord's working, you'll feel like this, the Holy Spirit like, oh, yeah, yeah, I need to respond differently now. It's not perfect. It takes time to learn how to communicate differently. But the thing is, it, it takes showing up, too, in the body. Like, it's just actually just about being in the body as part of it. Building relationship, building trust, receiving love. Because life in the church can highlight deficiencies. And I was, I was thinking about, maybe I'll say, will highlight deficiencies. Like, whatever your deficiencies are, the church is sure to expose those things. Maybe. I'll say can, because we have to, we can choose whether or not we pursue deep relationship. And it's really in the pursuit of deep relationship that that stuff really comes out. But it's, it's the mercy of Jesus to bring exposure so that healing and transformation can happen. Third way that Satan, the third roadblock that Satan uses is conflict. You notice that in in Ephesians there where Paul said, rather speaking the truth in love. Do you know how difficult that can be? Speaking the truth in love. That can be exceedingly, exceedingly difficult. Can it not? 
How many of you experience speaking the truth in love can be exceedingly hard? Few of us are like, yeah, that's true. It's extremely hard. And the thing is this, if you don't have conflict in your life, you actually probably don't have a lot of intimacy in your life. Because with intimacy comes conflict. And all the husbands and wives are like, yep, that's true. It's part of life. And that's the thing. This can be helpful because as hard as conflict is, it actually reveals that there is intimacy. And the strain and the stress of living together in community. And I, I think we're, like, we're seeing this now really in, in many ways that it's a real, it takes a real toll on church leaders and those in the body. There can be really, throughout time in the church, there can be really hard, ugly situations. The thing is, though, is that transformation in our life doesn't happen without conflict. You actually won't have it without it. And, and, and we need to remind ourselves, God is not in the church. God is not caught off guard by our brokenness. Like, he doesn't all of a sudden, something happens in the church and God's like, oh, that really surprised me. God sees it all. And so I think it's a different perspective where we can see where it's in and through the mess that God actually does this supernatural work in community of drawing us into the likeness of Jesus. And here's the thing. The truth that you'll see in Scripture is the Holy Spirit is most active when there is the most work needed, which is really great. To have that perspective. Because without that perspective, it's actually really, really difficult to enter into the life of a community. So I was, I was processing some things uh, somewhat recently with the Lord this summer, and I, and I was going through some things, and I, and I realized something about myself in conflict that my tendency at times is actually to avoid conflict because it's easier and it's, there's a part of my personality that lends itself to that. And that was the big sort of light bulb for me was realizing how this interacts with my personality and I was going through some things and I was like, oh, and the Holy Spirit was showing me how like the, the larger dominant part of my personality, I have a real value for truth, commitment to truth. But then there's another part of me that's like, just wants to keep the peace and, and I don't want to rock the boat. And I realize that sometimes in those situations, I've actually left feeling like I've betrayed myself because I wasn't actually real. And the Lord, he, he's, he's working that through with me. But see, this is all about how do we deal with conflict in our lives? Now, the question that I ask myself is, why, why does this happen in me? Why does it happen? Well, the answer is really simple. Because conflict is hard. It's really difficult. Confrontation is difficult. And, and just because I've realized that, you know, I, have, I've, I haven't sorted this all out. Like, I, I realize that. But gaining understanding of our internal motivations is really, really important to pursue transformation. Like, what is it in me that's motivating me in this or that? And how am I processing that? 
And it's really good to hear that conflict doesn't have to mean the end of relationship because conflict, when pushed through, actually leads to increased intimacy. And I, I've experienced that with Norm, my really good friend, me and him, we've experienced that in our lives and it's been so, so good. Fourth roadblock that Satan uses is expectations. You know, the thing is, expectations are weird and sneaky because they lay dormant until they're not met. And all the married couples are like, yep, amen. Expectations are underneath the surface a lot of times. Like, we don't even know they're there until they're not met. And then they're like, you didn't meet my expectation. Why didn't you meet my expectation in this? And the other person's like, I didn't even know that was an expectation. That is life. And, and here's the thing. More often than not, our expectations are not met. That's the, that's the thing. But this, that shouldn't be the reason that we don't stay in community or enter into community at all. But there's going to be a ton of times that all of us face, we, we encounter where our expectations aren't met by other people. And we're putting unrealistic expectations on other people. This tension right now is being highlighted all over the place in churches during COVID. Like all over the place. Well, this is my expectation. Well, this is my expectation. Well, this, this, this. And leaders are going, we're attempting to listen to the Lord and we're attempting to listen to government and be obedient. There is a myriad of opinions and interpretations all the time. We have to choose to enter into community to participate intentionally, and that's half the battle. Just being intentional about it is half the battle. Like deciding ahead of time this year, like, you know what? I am committed to this church and to this body. I am going to come together and I'm going to pray together once a month at our night of prayer. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm in. There's an intention on it. And you know what? I'm in and I'm going to mark it on my calendar and I'm going to come and I'm going to pray together and I'm going to be intentional. Doing that is half the battle in coming. And I want to ask you, if you would do that, hypothetically, if you would do that, how will God use that in your life? So what does life together as God's people call us to? This is, I think, where verses 15 and 16 here are so helpful. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What Paul's talking about here, what he wrote, is not worked out in some vague appeal to the wider body of Christ. This works itself out in a particular community. When we read of God's people in Scripture, Jesus' life on earth, everything that he did with his people in the Old Testament, and the birth of the church, just go through it, all of Scripture, what we see is that our participation with God, his participation with people, is always in the particular. It's not in the vague. 
It's in a very particular relationship. And we're invited to embrace this life of Christ together in specific, particular, concrete relationships. In the book, The Relational Soul, the point is made that because our souls are permeable and thus shaped by the internalization of others, we experience transformation by the continual internalization of the particular presence found in God's people. What that basically means is we're like sponges. So just picture a sponge. Picture a big sponge, you in the body. And what we are immersed in and given to is internalized within us. So as we're knit into the church and we pursue what Ephesians 4 here speaks of, we're internalizing the presence of God amongst us. We are meant to be a dwelling place for God by Ephesians 2. By what? Meant to be a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Right? So that we are, there's this internalization happening. We, the presence of God is being internalized like a sponge. We're soaking it up amongst us. As we show up, as we participate, as we engage, as we sow into relationships, we're soaking this stuff up. So this is where our conception of what the church is, is really critical. That, that it's relationships being nurtured around the lordship of Jesus. And it's vital to actually the very well-being of my soul. Last week, that girl in the Alpha video, Dory. I love that story of Dory and her dad coming to Alpha. And she says there in the video, when she experienced Alpha in the church, she said, this is so good. She said, if this is true, her thought was, if this is true, I'm never leaving this place. Why? Because she encountered the presence of God amidst his people. And she was like, I understand this is something different than I've ever experienced in my life. And I want this. That is our calling as the people of God. That when people come in and show up here, they go, whoa. There's something here amongst these people that I want. We're not living ideas. When we read this, this is not ideas that we're living. We're living in the particular. When we read about being built up, of growing in spiritual maturity, that doesn't just happen a vague out there. Paul says, no, no, that happens in a particular community. We actually do this intentionally with others together. But we need to be real that people will hurt and disappoint us. Absolutely. It will happen. If it hasn't happened already, it will absolutely happen. But we must remember the promises of God. We are being built together to be a dwelling place for God by who? Who's working that? Spirit is working that. There's a mystery there. There is a huge mystery to what Ephesians 2 promises. The mystery of God dwelling with his people. And what it does is, is we understand this is what God's doing. It gets my, my, my eyes off of myself. It gets my eyes off of other people. 
and my selfishness and their selfishness and that bugs me and that irritates me. And it's like, no, God is doing something that I want to be a part of. I'm seeing what God's doing. All right. I want to highlight now, I want to highlight five ways that intentional community, just quickly, five ways that intentional community in the church forms us and in our apprenticeship to Jesus. And these are taken from a chapter on community and the relational soul. And, I, and as I was going through these things, they really spoke to me. And so I want to go through them. I want to draw out some thoughts from them, um, from these five areas. So the first way intentional community forms us is for confronting our selfishness. The film, how, how many of you have ever seen the film Inception? Inception, so really, really neat kind of mind-bending film. But in the film, the main character, he has found a way to enter into a dream state so he can enter into the dreams of others and his own dreams. And, and he has this they have this ability in the dream world to create these entire worlds that they live in in the dream state. And the dream state is always like a matter of minutes in the real world is longer in the dream state. Anyways, we won't get into that. But him and his wife, they get stuck in this multiple dream state in the film where they're, they're basically trapped and they've got to find a way out. But they're in this dream state for just a, a mere hours in the real world. But in this dream state, because they're so far down, they're in there for decades. So they're, what they're experiencing is decades. And so they build this world that they live in for decades. And what happens is eventually they get out of the dream state. Well, that's too confusing to get into that. But whatever. But, the re, but the, in, when they get back to what is actually reality, his wife struggles because she's like, no, 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 what we were in was reality. And he's like, no, this is reality. She, and she had been stuck for decades. And so the illusion felt so real to her that now she wanted to go back to that. We also have to be weary of illusions where we don't account in the body for sin and brokenness and limitations in ourselves and in others. And the temptation, like this wife, the wife in Inception, is that we grow disillusioned where we're actually at. That's what happened to her. She was just disillusioned with actual reality. We'll face this temptation in the church. We will face this. And in large part, we face it actually because of our own selfishness. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he wrote this in his book, Life Together. He talked about how community is not an ideal, but a divine reality. He says, only the fellowship which faces such delusionment with all its unhappy and ugly aspects begins to be what it should be in God's sight, begins to grasp in faith the promise that is given it. See, it's, it's in community that our self-centeredness becomes quite clear to us. It's in community that life happens on our own terms, that we believe that, that that comes out. It's in community that that others, what we want and need them to be, is exposed. We should actually expect all of this when we enter into community because of how much the gospel makes of our sin and our brokenness and our need for transformation. That is the reason 
that we so desperately need Jesus. So why would we be surprised when entering into community together exposes these things in us? Second way intentional community forms us, for surrendering and serving. We learn the craft of deep, soulful relationships with one another. And it is a craft. We're learning how to do this. Others teach us how to forgive. Others teach us how to pray. I would not have learned how to pray except without others in the church. I was taught. I learned, we learn how to give. We learn how to be patient. We learn how to be merciful. We learn how to serve. Learning to surrender our souls happens in community. And learning to surrender is a fundamental part of following the way of Jesus. It's actually essential for your apprenticeship to Jesus that you learn how to surrender like he surrendered. Everything flows from that. Everything flows from that. Jesus surrendered himself to the Father. A healthy church does the same. We learn from one another how to do this. And for the sake of one another, we actually are called to live lives surrendered. I don't think, sometimes that, that's a difficult thing to talk about in the church, but Jesus was totally surrendered. Church is called to be totally surrendered. And it's within the church that we learn to serve one another. And it's not idealism. Like, this is not an idealistic vision. It's ordinary. It's challenging. It's tiring. Serving in the church is full of routine. It's like, oh, I got to serve again. Okay. Like, there's, there's an aspect of it. It's not always like, yeah, I get to serve this week. It's not always that. Sometimes it is. It's also just tiring at times. But that's the way that we learn to surrender. I, years ago, I was... Um, me and another guy in our church, we were uh, tasked as part of our discipleship school. One of our ways that we were serving was setting up the chairs early, every Sunday morning, like at, I think it was like five or six in the morning we had to get there. And Ron would get there at about, mm, I don't know, maybe 7.38. And, and he would start to come and he would measure how, like, distance between chairs and he'd look at what we'd done. And, like, I remember going, are you kidding me? Like, in turn, I'm thinking you got to be kidding me that this is like you care this much about chairs. But, you know, over time I saw why, why there, was, there was a focus on the particular. But more than that, you know what it was? Was I was learning, I was having to learn as a young 19-year-old, maybe 20, how to just be quiet and submit and do what I was asked to do. And it was really, really good for me just to learn that. How are you surrendering and serving in the body, in this body? Because we're called, every single one of us is called to surrender and to serve. It's not for the chosen few. It's not for this group. It's, it's for all of us. And we have areas of need. Sunday greeters, leading services. We, we could use more of that. Children's ministry, sound Computer, youth ministry, men's ministry. There's many opportunities for you to serve. So the question I'm going to put for us, it's just really actually, like there's clarity here, is where will you serve? Where will you serve? We love and we commit to one another by serving one another. Third way intentional community forms us. 
for comforting us in our suffering. You know, we held a funeral here last year for a family that was largely unchurched. And they were blown away by the response of those from here that helped in that funeral. They were, they were blown away by how we just served them and loved them. And, and it really has impacted them to this day. Here's the thing. Life encounters tremendous suffering. No one has sufficient answers to make sense of it all. We don't have all the answers when it comes to suffering and why this and why that and why not this. We, we don't have those answers. But it is a gift to have the church to hold us through these things. The relational soul, they, said, and they say that the mystery of suffering proves to be a profound pathway into a participatory experience with God. There's something about suffering that invites us into the life of God in a new way like nothing else does. We're called to bear one another's burdens, it says in Galatians 6.2. This is part of what we do as the church. Fourth way intentional community forms us for informing and strengthening character. Intentional community cultivates shared character amongst us, a, a way of being, if you will, a pursuit of Jesus's way that we're, we're pursuing together. We want to go the way of Jesus. We want to commit to apprenticeship to Jesus. We're going there together. This is a good thing. Awareness of and connection to the Holy Spirit in all things. We want to be pursuing what the Holy Spirit wants to do amongst us, what he's, what he's stirring in us. And it's not about behavioral modification. Like, Lord, save us from behavioral modification in the church. This is about deep formation to the way of Jesus. An internal formation and transformation. Hearts and souls that are being changed and softened and, and worked and healed. Being led by the Spirit, right? As Galatians, as Paul talks about there, walking in step with the Spirit. Just naturally producing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Again, that whole thing, that picture of like trees don't, they don't have to like work hard to produce fruit. It just naturally is what you see it on a tree and you're like, that tree is producing fruit because it is abiding. Not that we act in a particular way, right? We're not acting the fruits of the Spirit. We're not trying to be more kind. We're not trying to do this. We're not try no, we are this. This, is, this defines who we are. Again, it's like we're like sponges. We, we're internalizing God's presence amongst us and, and his people transform us as we're taking this in. All right, fifth way that intentional community forms is the last way. For humility and gratitude. The relational soul says, if we are attentive to these ways of living in the body, these ways, these other four ways, we'll find ourselves formed by two primary virtues, humility and gratitude. And this is where intentional community calls us to be on guard against self-centeredness that keeps us from deep examination in our hearts. Humility postures our hearts for dependency on God, on his word, on the Holy Spirit. Humility brings us to this place of confession and repentance. 
Because again, repentance without humility, it's like a trumped up self-righteousness that, that just doesn't get to those deep motivations of our hearts. Repentance always has to have humility with it. A life of participation in God and intentional community, it's, it's just, it's a gift. Like, it is a gift to, to experience that. And humility is the thing that postures us to receive it, and gratitude is the posture once we have received it. So I want to I end this morning by, uh, by going back to something here that I, I briefly touched on last week, and that was developing a theology of weakness in the church. Yes, we want to develop a theology by which we actually move and live out of being honest and transparent about our weakness. We want to develop this in ourselves. Being real about where we're at, who we are, and what we're struggling with. And, and so in that, we resist the urge to be posturing ourselves, to be into image management, to be into defensiveness, to being into self-preservation. All the things that we are all inclined to be in our lives. So Pete Scazzaro, he talks about these two types of churches. One characterized by pride and defensiveness, and one marked by brokenness and vulnerability. And I want to I put up a chart. There's actually three slides here that lists the differences between these two types of churches. And I want to I do this to consider, look at these things to consider where do we maybe perhaps need healing and transformation? Where are there things in my life that I can grow in? So this is the first slide. So I'm, I'm not going to go through all of them, but, you know, again, so this is on the one side, this is a proud and defensive church. This is a broken and a vulnerable church, right? And so what the, the proud and defensive church is I'm guarded and protective about my imperfections and flaws. And a broken and vulnerable church is I'm transparent and weak. I disclose myself to appropriate others. I give my opinion a lot, even when I'm not asked. That's being proud and defensive. Broken and vulnerable, I'm slow to speak and quick to listen. Number six, I don't get close to people versus I'm open, soft, and curious about others. Do you want to put the next one up, Steph? Um, yeah, there's lots here. Number seven, I keep people from really seeing what's going on inside of me versus I delight in showing vulnerability and weakness. That's Christ's power may be seen. Number eight, I like to control most situations. I can let go and give people opportunity to earn my trust. It's just, yeah, you want to go to the next slide? We're going we're gonna to put these up on social media this week. So if you want to, um, to go to our various platforms, you can get these. If you want to, I really encourage you to, to go through this and just, again, be interacting with the Lord. Yeah, number 12, when I'm offended, I write people off versus when I'm offended, I ask questions to explore what happened. I have to prove I'm right when wronged. Number 15, versus I can let things go. I think, yeah, 17, like again, it's just, it's so, so good for us to consider these things. I'm highly self-conscious and concerned about how others perceive me versus I'm more aware of God and others than the impression I am making. I wanna, I wanna just encourage you because this, going through this kind of stuff 
is not best done here on a Sunday morning. I'm, I'm happy that I can present it and, and, and give it to you, but really this is the kind of stuff that needs to be worked out either within a small group where there's trust and relationship and, and vulnerability or, and, and I think alongside that also just between you and the Lord, just going through things like that and going, and it, it, it takes, it's hard because you're even before the Lord, you're exposed in a way of going, am I going to be honest about the things that are inside me? Am I going to be honest in admitting? The Lord knows. But it's, it's being honest with it. Yeah, I, I struggle with that. Yeah, I want to be more like this. Like, those 17 points don't happen overnight. That, that, that is a process of just inviting the Lord to work. But I, I've, I've been really struck by you know, not wanting to be a church that's characterized by pride and defensiveness, but being a, a church that's marked by humility and brokenness. I, I think that is a wonderful, wonderful picture of what God's heart is for the church. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful place for people to enter into and go, these are real people who are honest. They're inviting me in. They're not pretentious. They're not into image management. They're not prideful. They're, they're just... I can, I, can, I can dwell here. I can meet Jesus here. So how do, how do we become that church is really just one of the burning questions that I'm asking. How do we become a church marked by brokenness and vulnerability? Committed to following the way of Jesus as his apprentices. All right, let's, let's pray. Father, we know that your heart is for us. We know that you are all aware, you're aware, Lord, of all of our brokenness, all of our shortcomings, all the ways that we find difficult to engage in community, all the things that have happened to us, Lord, and the experiences that we've had that make it difficult. Father, you know it all. And Lord, we, we recognize that in many, many areas we we need healing. And we want to be a people that is honest about that, Lord. And we want to be a people that is inviting you in, Holy Spirit, to do the work that you desire. So that we would be built up, so that we would be growing, so that we would be joined together. And that every single part of the church, every little single aspect of, of our relationships together would be working properly. Lord, so that we'd be being built up in love. God, we thank you for your, your incredible vision for the church. We thank you, Jesus, for your incredible faithfulness and that, as Ephesians tells us, that you are above all things and that you're, you're, you're seated high above all things and you're able to do far more abundantly more than all that we ask or think or even imagine. And so, Lord, we, we give that to you in these days. We ask you to search our hearts, Lord and to do that work within us. Amen.